There are no such things as limits or obstacles, only opportunities. Step into the greatest version of yourself because what you do matters. Shift your narrative. You're listening to Opportunity Makers, where entrepreneurs come to take their purpose-driven business to the next level. Here's your host, Jim Padilla. Hey there, welcome back to the Opportunity Makers podcast. And uh, I have a, a really awesome conversation I want to share with you today. This has just been a blessing and a journey being on this uh, path of talking to people who are literally changing the world at scale and being able to serve you, people who are in process of also changing the world at a scale and wanting to do more. And the whole mission here is to deliver hope and provide simple, clear pathways to show what kind of decisions can be made in a world that we're living in today so that there is nothing but opportunity and easy ways to take advantage of those opportunities so that they serve you, serve the people that you serve, help you become a better person, help you provide for more people, help you solve more problems for the communities that you serve, for the businesses that you have for your clients, and for and for any anything that is coming down your path that you've got the solution, either through the things you provide or the con- connections that you have or the people that you know, but there should never be a shortage of revenue opportunities, never be a shortage of problems to solve and people to serve. You should always have a waiting list uh, of that at all times, doing an inventory of of the people in your world. You know, you never know who's on your list. You never know who is, uh, and am I on your list? It's on your email list. It's in your Facebook followings. It's on your LinkedIn. It's who's people who listen to your podcast. You just never know. You got to be crystal clear and razor sharp. Know who you're talking to, what you're talking about, why, and what it is that you, what's the hot button that you want to be able to share with people to move people forward, right? And that for me, this is just beating this like a dead horse, beating this over and over again. But it's so imperative and so important that you have the driving wheel, the steering wheel to drive your own opportunities and drive your destiny. And this is not the time to worry about overprotecting yourself. Lean in and let the success and the opportunity provide the protection that you need for yourself. Find ways to turn money into more money, right? Assets into greater revenue and problems into opportunities. And the conversation today we had with was with a gentleman named Peter Swain, who is somebody that I have gotten to know over this last year, a mastermind, uh, a mastermind colleague, and um, also as I've jumped into his mastermind, as he's shown up as a thought leader in the AI space and really doing some some big things and giving people some simple ways to win uh, and overcome. So there's also access to that uh, mastermind in the show notes. Um, so make sure you check out there. There's several ways for you to reach out to, to Peter in the show notes. And I think you will want to after you hear him speak. He's a very intelligent guy with a lifetime worth of incredible solutions and opportunities that he has taken advantage of, a breadth of knowledge and depth of knowledge in marketing and business and scaling. And he is also in the process of, he's a banker. He has money that he is providing for people in business in an economically challenged environments in in uh, South America and other countries as well as starting to you know bringing those solutions to America and so the most important thing you're going to take from this is just 
his perspective, the way he thinks and sees about the, the world and things that are around him. So that uh, my, my mission is to make sure that you see as much of that as possible so you can really start resonating and start seeing that you are this close. And if you're listening, my fingers are very close to each other, <laughs> less than an inch apart. You are very, very close to your next win, your next windfall. And too many times we're so concerned about tripping and falling that we don't take big enough steps that would even allow us to trip and fall. And I just want to encourage you, seize the moment, seize the opportunities that are around you, take big strides. Hey, uh, I just, you know, just put a post on Facebook recently, just the other day, I said, don't make incremental the goal, make incremental where you fall while striving for exponential. You should be seeking exponential opportunities every day because they're everywhere and you can get them with help, with guidance. And there's no shortage of help and assistance anywhere around. We're here to help you reach into show notes, reach out to me, let me know what you're striving for, what you need help with. And we'll make sure that we provide a solution via anything we offer or, or an introduction, uh, or we'll do a podcast episode on it, or I'll bring an expert in who can speak about it, but we want to make sure we know how to help you best. And that's what we're doing here. So go find the opportunities that exist around you, jump into this interview and enjoy. All right. So you've all just heard the official uh, introduction. So Peter Swain, why don't you introduce yourself the way that you want to? Oh, well, thanks, Jim. And thanks for allowing me to be here. And thank you for everybody that's giving up their time to listen, because uh, we know how valuable that is. My name's uh, Peter Swain. Um, as you may guess from the accent, I'm not from the American side of the pond. I'm from the British side of the pond. Uh, I started coding when I was six, saw my first application at 12, uh, built this little thing called yell.co.uk, which became Yelp um, in the mid-90s, and then ran digital agencies pretty much the whole of my life. I uh, did about 1,400 projects, people like Microsoft, Amazon, Google, uh, Ali G, Breaking Bad, some really fun stuff, some really big stuff, some really small stuff, but uh, all really focused around the intellectual challenge of could I get people to do things, right? That's essentially what marketing is. Can I persuade you that your idea is your idea when actually it was my idea. Um, and then recently, in the last couple of years, I've transitioned out of marketing um, and into the world of finance. So uh, pleased to be here um, and looking forward to seeing what we get through. Definitely. And I, I always appreciate you being here. You know, I connected with Peter in a, in a couple of different places and masterminds and, uh, and and I'm in one of his masterminds now as well. Um, but more than anything, he's just a really good guy. He's, he's very smart, has a lot of good insights, sees things quickly, sees them well. And always you just, whenever he's around, there's uh, always a group of people because people want Peter's time just because he's, 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 you know, a combination of the smarts, the intellect and the insights, but he's just a really good human. And he's, and I bribe them behind the scenes, Jim, but you don't yeah. know that. You know, I'll tell you what, I'll call you. Uh, I, I had a friend that uh, I, I coached basketball with for years and uh, uh, he was the one of the few people that I would answer the phone no matter when he called. I started, I called him my green button friend because, you know, when your phone rings, you got red or green. He's the only one of the only people even above my kids and spouse that no matter what I was doing, I would answer because he always had a way of making me feel awesome. You know, he just had this energy about him. And I see that in you. And I don't know if you do that intentionally or if you have, you've done it so long. It's just part of who you are. But I watch that as you uh, as, as you move around people. And 
to me, that's also part of what makes an opportunity maker, right? You're seeing the positive, seeing the high side of everything that goes on. And if, if you're seeing the low side of everything, then it's hard to actually create. But when you can see the high side of every opportunity, it's just, it's so much easier to make things happen for yourself and for others. Well, I'll let you into a secret as to why I try and cultivate that with people. Um, and really everything changed when I had my first my first child. And it was, uh, you know, they put them in your arms and um, my first child was Olivia and it's it's a little bit more profound because it's it's a girl um because for the for the dads in the audience I think we all know how we feel about about our little girls they're, they're a different thing Absolutely. like my son like bashes into walls it's fine but my girl's my girl anyway <laughs> um I realized when it happened that I had a responsibility that I, that I was going to be a parent until hopefully you know god willing until the day I die and that means that I have a responsibility for her, for her experience, not just while she's under my roof, but for the rest of time. And the, the, I had this hallucination, vision, lucid dream, you know, wherever people sit on a on the, the their relationship with the divine kind of sees how you see this. But what it was was this: she's in this vision, she's eighteen. Um, and she goes to town with her boyfriend, and they have a very stereotypical teenage fight. And her boyfriend has her purse and her phone um, in his pocket because she's gone out wearing something slinky that I don't like. And he walks away. And she's sitting on the side of the road. And she's crying. And this guy, who I've decided to call Bob, so no offense to any of the Bobs um, out there, but anyway, this guy called Bob walks past. And Bob, in that moment, has three choices. Choice one, he can say, let me take you for a drink, which is a chilling thought for me. Um, the idea of my my 18-year-old daughter in a low moment being seen as prey. Um, choice two, he just walks on by and ignores her, which doesn't fill me full of happiness, but okay. Or choice three, he says, how can I help? Um, and she says she just needs to get home to her dad. And he calls her a cab waits with her for the cab to arrive, and then leaves. When that realization hit me, what came next was it didn't matter really, Jim, if I win or you win or Bill or Jane or Sally in any one interaction, it doesn't really matter who wins. The only thing that matters is that I put the ripples out in the world that talk to Bob, a guy I'm never going to meet, that's 10 years in my future, how do I get Bob to do the right thing? How do I get Bob in 10 years' time to say, how can I help? And it might sound far-fetched for people. It might sound sublime and a bit ridiculous, but I, I truly do believe that everything we do, every action we have, everything we say, every person we impact, we are tweaking the course of their existence. And if that's true, the only way that I can guarantee that Bob does the right thing is to put enough ripples out in the world that I statistically become guaranteed to affect what Bob does. So I just want people to win. And sometimes that means that I don't win. And that's okay. Sometimes it means I'm the only person that wins. And that's okay too, as long as it's progressing that path of how do we make the world a better place. Because purely selfishly, 
I don't want my daughter to grow up in a world where she has to be fearful for her for her life. Um, sure, she has to have trauma. She has to have stress. Otherwise, her personality and her character doesn't develop. But I think we can all agree there's a type of trauma that we don't want our kids to have to experience. Um, so it's purely selfish. Um, but it's uh, how do I make the world a better place so that my kids grow up in a better world than I did? And I grew up in a pretty awesome world. But how do we make it better for them? Kind of informs every decision I make, to be honest. It makes it a super simple decision process. Do, do I think this thing will make the world better? Yes. Great. I'm on. No, I'm not on. Simple as that. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I appreciate all of that. And number one, as a as a father of three daughters and someone who spent you know a decade plus of my life coaching high school girls in basketball and golf, uh, I got a lot of daughters out there as well. And uh, I, I exactly the same. It's everything that we can do to create the most successful environment for them to be able to win. And most of the time, I mean, while we have direct influence over them, the things that are going to impact them more are the things that we don't have direct influence over, but have have access to being able to influence, right? And so, but, but people don't see that. I think too many times we see what's right in front of us. And what what's the key to seeing around corners and seeing a generation ahead and as a default? Yeah, and really that's kind of been my job all the way through. And you start with, with a core truth. And sometimes those core truths are kind of, some people can see them as depressing. But, but if the train's going in that direction, the train's going in that direction, we can't then change that. What we can do is shape it. Um, and we can mold that experience. So let's take one of the core distinctions of humanity. And this was from Gary Vee. He said, people don't care about security. People don't care about quality. They care about convenience. And if you don't agree, then why is Equifax still in business? You know, how, how can a company ship 250 million credit reports, whatever the number was, and their stock price be relatively unaffected? We don't care. It's not something we actually care about. We say we care about security, but actually we really don't. We say we care about quality, and yet Budweiser is one of the most successful beers in the world. And I don't even think Budweiser would stand and say that they are a quality premium product. They're, they're just not. They're a very, very successful 85 percentile product. But what we do care about is convenience. Now, if that's true, and you believe that to be true, you can start making some claims pretty quickly as to what is going to happen. And another one, for example, technology's job is to become invisible. Um, technology's job is for it to work and do the thing it works, but without you knowing it's there. Uh, so when you start adding up these kind of core truths, you can start looking and going, huh, okay, well, if that's the case, this is going to happen. Um, and then you you just start layering. Like one of, uh, I'll give you a prediction right now, because this is something I find um, fascinating that no one's seen. Um, people say that the Amazon-owned brands um, have been a relative failure. Now, this was in like Shopper uh, 2021 report, I think it was. Amazon O'Brien's brands been a complete failure. So, okay, so let's, to accept that statement as true, we have to accept that Amazon, one of the most proficient hive mind collective companies in the world, is betting wrong with billions of dollars. I feel really uncomfortable saying that sentence because I don't think it can be true. So in that case, what is actually happening? When you look at the growth of, an, of the Alexa devices, 
and you look at the growth of the Amazon own brands, they almost correlate one for one. It, it's spooky close how the growth curve of Alexa and the growth curve of own brands are the same thing. What does that mean? Well, currently, our decision-making process online is predominantly visual. Like we're on a podcast, and, and I know the value this adds, but when people are like, huh, I might want to work with Jim, huh, I might want to work with Peter, they go and look at a website. They want to read something before they make that final decision. So this is a huge part. The auditory experience is a huge part, but the visual is the final part. But what happens, and I'm going to replace the word Alexa with uh, Harry, just so we don't kick off everyone's devices. But what happens when you say, hey, Harry, order me some cookies? And Harry gets to say back to you, huh, do you mean Chips Ahoy? Do you mean Oreo? Or would you like to try the Mama's Kitchen brand for only 20 cents? You go, I'll try the Mama's Kitchen brand. Thanks very much. And then the next time you say, order me some cookies, who's to say they don't just default to the Mama's Kitchen brand? The own brand experience becomes exponentially more worthwhile when it is a voice-only interaction. Now, now let's go to the next step after that. If we were to look through the, the quarterly or the annual statements of, say, Coke or Unilever or J&J, what is the value that's put on the brand, the IP? The, what is the brand value? It's billions upon billions upon billions. Amazon essentially are doing what Google did with Google Ads. They're essentially taking that next step, but with all consumer purchase and products. So I think you'll see within two, three years that Alexa will start offering its its own branded products. Um, and then you may end up in a, 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 a an auction process based on how much they're willing to pay Amazon. It becomes a fascinating conversation because Walmart have done this for years. You know, where do we put stuff on the shelves? Um, is a direct correlation to how much people are willing to pay Walmart for that privilege. Amazon are heading the same way. So this sounds like, wow, this is a bold prediction, but when you just add up the variables below it, it's kind of a Sherlock Holmes moment. Well, yeah, two plus two plus two equals, okay, um, this is where we get to. So when you then work these things out, you can then kind of step back and go, okay, well, I know what the next step needs to look like then. I don't know if that was too adept an example or not but no i mean it's interesting though because then the other thing that happens is it it opens up doors of opportunity all along the way because at, at its core whichever brand they're going to default to they need to make sure that there's ample opportunity so that nothing is that so there's always a choice mm -hmm. they can't have out of stock as an option right so so in order whichever brand is in play there has to be enough vendors of whatever the product is so that the only response that they can't hear is out of stock. Yeah. And Amazon, I don't think have ever done that and ever will do that. Like it's yeah. because they've just, uh, they've just announced they deployed AI for predictive modeling of um, stock levels literally last week, um, which is quite interesting, but it's interesting to use the word an opportunity. And I think people often make semantically a really big error with the word opportunity that you talk about an opportunity or the opportunity as if it's an an object and 
I don't think it is. I think it's a state of mind. I think opportunity and happy and sad should be in the same kind of thought process because all an opportunity is, is a perception of reward within a change, right? A perception of reward within a change. Because if nothing is changing, there is no opportunity, right? If nothing is changing, if everything stays the same, if your perception of the world stays the same, what you can buy stays the same, what you can sell stays the same, who's going to buy it, the population levels, everything is static. There is no opportunity. Opportunity comes from seeing a change and going, hmm, that's interesting. If I can understand what that's going to look like in the future, then I can perceive a reward. Therefore, there is now an opportunity. So in any change, good, bad, there is an opportunity. Like one of the phrases I love is when people say, oh, it's terrible weather. Now, this probably happens more in the UK than the US because we're fixated on talking about the weather. I'm like, what is terrible weather? And they're like, well, it's raining. I'm like, well, if, if it doesn't rain, then we can't, we don't get grass and trees and bushes. And if we don't get grass and trees and bushes, then we don't have animals. And if we don't have animals, well, we're all dead. So this sounds like awesome weather. And, it, and it, the only reason I say it is because it's, a, it's the wrong adjective um, being applied to the wrong thing. Um, and I find that opportunity falls into that same barrel. There are cha- everything is changing all the time. Correct. Um, and like today, there were hearings on the state of AI. Um, and they were referring to establishing a new government agency called the Ministry of Truth. And they referred to what the UK are doing and what the EU are doing in the US. Like it was carnage. They they were because the, the politicians have no idea how to do that. Now, anybody that's been doing AI for three, four months could walk into Washington today and say, I'm an AI consultant. I have a a framework of how I think we should do this. And there are 300 grand a year, 400 grand a year employee within, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. It really wouldn't be a long, because you've got hundreds of politicians that have to pay attention to something that weren't paying attention to it, i.e. there is a change. And there is a therefore there is a perception of reward. Therefore, there is an opportunity. There's a, there's always an opportunity. So much so, and that's you know that's the message that we're constantly bringing to 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 those who are listening. It's you know it's there's no matter what it is, there's an opportunity. Even if you fear the opportunity, if if it's, even if the opportunity is to protect yourself from something you see as a danger or a risk, just like the, uh, I like the way you frame that. Though the constant change brings the perception of the opportunity from the payoff like what is whatever that is because change is always going to impact everybody who's at the intersection or or is or or sees beyond it and all it does is open up the doors for people to help people in the transition help people minimize the impact help people minimize the risk or grow further now you've you're a serial entrepreneur as i i would just define you as um and you're the kind of person um who gets opportunities attracted to you all the time how do you make decisions what's your decision making mechanism to determine what's the great well, opportunities versus good right what are the, oh, the risks the, the I'm, terrible at this. I'm, I'm terrible at this i have to so because i end up doing too many things and then probably not doing them as well as i could do um because also the curse of a serial entrepreneur is somebody that is essentially saying i'm consistently getting bored 
Um, because you know, Jeff Bezos proves you don't need to be a serial entrepreneur to be very successful. You can just do one thing. Right. Um, I mean, Elon Musk is regarded as serial and he's done five. I mean, it's only only five, and most of us are probably doing five side hustles. Um, so as of this year, um, I sat down and ranked things um based on how how good I am at them, how much I love them, and what the financial return can be. And the financial return was the lowest because I truly think you can be a millionaire doing anything. Um, if you go deep into it enough, I, I, whether you say coaching or selling sand to Arabs or ice to Eskimos, I think you can be a millionaire in any aspect of life that you need. Great. Now, people might have more aspiration than that, and maybe you can't do 100 million. I used to say, I don't think you could do 100 million selling sand to the Arabs. And then I found out that the sand that they have in the UAE isn't building grade. Um, so to build Dubai, they had to import sand. So you can <laughs> do 100 million selling sand tariffs. Um, so do I enjoy it? Um, and am I good at it? And do I have something unique to bring to that space? Um, but I decided at the beginning of this year to close off all new opportunities until the end of the year. So I'm like, this year, I have enough amazing things to work on that fire me up, that can make me money, that can have impact. And I did break it for for AI um, because I was like, okay, this is this is too good to. But it was an exception that proved the rule, not a, a rule. So I think there's an important. The only thing I would say that maybe is a takeaway for people in this is there's a difference between planning time and doing time. Um, and as a general rule, vastly stereotyping, men need to plan more and do less, and women need to plan less and do more. Um, and I'm, I'm vast, and I apologize for anyone who just got offended by that. But I found that guys tend to just go quick into a thing and not really think about what it's gonna, what what's gonna come out of that. Um, what are the the side effects or the processional effect? Um, and women tend to spend a bit too long thinking about it and thinking about the repercussions of it, so that by the time they've got to it, a guy's already. XYZ further ahead. But as I said, vastly stereotyping. But I do think that there's an importance to understand, okay, this is planning time and this is doing time. Um, and when you're in doing time, just go. Just do the thing. So that would be my my takeaway from that. But yeah, I'm probably not the right person to ask because I'm hideous at it. Because I go, oh, shiny object. Yeah, but you see, you see, you know, I I I heard this quote a long time ago that. Most people spend all their time trying to make the right decision. Successful people spend their time making their decisions right. So mm -hmm. I made a decision and then now I just make it the right decision. So you know? there's a great quote from Schwarzkopf. I think it was Schwarzkopf. Um, so he was brought into um, the, you know, the Gulf War Desert Storm. I, I think it was him, but um, it, it was certainly one of the, the conflicts in the Middle East. Pretty sure it was him. And he was presented Team A or Team B. And they both had a very different plan. Um, and they'd got hundreds and thousands of hours of research and thought from really clever people, but they were in complete diametric opposite to each other. And he walked in, he heard both plans. They'd been stuck trying to decide this for years. And he went, option A. All right, what's next? Um, and one of his aides came up to him and said, I, I've, I've got to ask, like, how? This has been stuck for two years. How do you know that option A is the right option? 
And he went, I have no idea whether it's the right option. It's not my job to make a good decision. It's my job to make a decision. And he's like, both of these things have been informed by hundreds and thousands of hours. There's no way to tell these two things apart. He's like, but they need to see me with utter certainty and utter confidence, make a decision and lead. So I think that's a very similar, a very similar story that you heard as well. So there's, let's go, let's do. And yeah, we're going to course correct and we're going to change as we get feedback. Um, but don't get stuck in that what if, what if, what if space. Absolutely not. Yeah, I find it interesting because uh, everybody that I talk to, you know, I've been blessed to work with, you know, a lot of very successful people. And so across the line, I, without exception, there's never, or at least overtly, there's never this fear of it not working because if it doesn't work, then you just learn and move on. You make a new decision and and you go. So there's not this, well, what was the biggest, what was the worst decision you've ever made? Because you just don't get those responses because Mm -hmm. that worst decision, quote unquote, led me to a minefield of opportunity because of all the things we learned along the way. I think the the commonality of those people is that they recognize that what they do and who they are are different things. So I'm not scared to say, okay, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Because if I have to say, hmm, I really F that up. It's not I, you know, I don't devalue myself because it was wrong. I go, hmm, lesson learned. Okay, let's go. Let's carry on. What's next? And I can only think of like two or three things that have flawed, like truly flawed me in like 40 years where I've kind of taken it into myself. But the other 999, I'm like, ah, wow, that wasn't what I was expecting. Okay, let's go. What's next? And pe- and whilst people are still in this space of, well, who did that and who did this and why did this and why did that? I'm like, yeah, we're done. We screwed up. Let's right. go. Let's move on. As long as the intent of the human is to do their best and to try their best and for, and to achieve, then the outcome is largely irrelevant. Agreed. You know, and it reminds me of Dan Sullivan uh, when I was at the Genius Network event years ago, and he was speaking at the Mastermind, and he he was talking about understanding the change cycle of a business, meaning if something blows up today it was almost never because of something you did today. It was because of decisions that were made days, weeks, months, or long time ago. And so if you take that approach and understand that if I make a change today, it's going to be days, week, or months down the road before we see the effects of that change. So don't be emotionally connected to it. He said, if you see something go up on fire, your only response should be, wow, that's an interesting shade of orange. I wonder what created that right? As opposed to, oh my God, there's a fire, put it, I mean, obviously you got to deal with the immediate emergency, but that's, again, just that same commonality. So we're we're not focused on the moment. The moment is just a factor in the bigger picture, Mm -hmm. but to really win it is you have to be seeing around the corners and beyond that moment before it ever happened anyway. I, I always recommend that people like study those, those people in history that just change things in, in entire ways. And one of them is Edison. And we all love the thousand ways to not build a light bulb thing but my favorite story about edison is when his factory burned down um and he called uh he said to his um assistant where are my kids and they're, they're not there's no one in the factory it's been completely empty they're at home he's like no no 
pull them, they're never going to get to see a fire like this. Um, and he and it it almost bankrupted him. Um, but he saw it as the opportunity. He actually was quoted by saying, "How much would it have cost us to clear all the crap out of the factory?" And they're like millions. He's like, "Sounds like we just saved a fortune." Um, and he went from you know it was the first two three years that they were in business and they were completely wiped out. And yet within two years, they were, I think, triple the revenue that they were before the fire. Because his point was, all of the things that matter are in our brains. That That's the, th the things we've learned, we still know. You haven't destroyed anything we learned. And that was the important thing, not the stuff that we built with it. It's the things that we learned. And by keeping everybody resolute into that mindset of, no, this is just the opportunity to start without any baggage, they managed to triple their their revenue. Um, and so it's it's pretty he's a pretty pretty astounding guy. You know, there's facts, right? And then there's the frames that we put around the facts, which give us what we focus on, which then shifts our belief sets, right? And then moves us into action and drives the opportunity. And it's it's never the facts that matter. It's always how we view them or what they mean to us, what the meaning we give it. And so I just think this it's it's always fascinating to me. And you know, in a core, one of our core values in our company and in my life is optimism and flexibility. And one of the ways that I, you know, we have a video for when we're recruiting salespeople and they have to buy into our values or they can't work here. I don't care how good they sell because it won't last. And when I talk about it, I say, here's an example of what optimism looks like. Your dog just crapped on your rug. And your immediate response is. I've been waiting to get a new rug, right? Not, oh my God, this dog, right? And it's it's just a different level of awareness and presence and focus. And it just keeps you always able to see what are the opportunities that are coming next. And I would like you to take just a couple of minutes. I know you have a book you want to promote. Um, and I, I know you have you have some big projects going. You got this, you know, you've, you've taken a lead in, in being an AI um, solution discover, I don't even know what to call you in this area, um, but you've been, you've taken a lead in, in finding the right paths. Um, and you are a bank as best as I can describe it, which I'm really excited about. And, and again, opportunity maker mindset. If you want to share just a couple of minutes about what's, what's going on with that and what are all the opportunities that you see coming out of that? Well, I mean, well, the bank, the bank is the ultimate version of opportunity because we run a bunch of fintech companies in Latin America. Um, and myself and my business partner, Roberto, kept getting told we couldn't do Dirk because we're not a bank. We couldn't do Dirk because we're not a bank. We couldn't do Dirk because we're not a bank. So I turned around and said, well, let's buy a bank. Um, I mean, and people are like, you want to do what? I'm like, yeah, I'll buy a bank. I mean, so we walked around for three months saying we're buying a bank um, until the state regulator reached out to us and said, um, it seems like you're buying a bank. Um, I've got a project for you to consider. Like, I, have, I had no idea how to do it, no idea how to go about it. But a, a key part of that opportunistic mindset is to start with everything as possible, not to start with anything as impossible. Um, and your brain is a problem-solving machine. If you give it problems to solve, it will solve them. Um, but if you give it affirmative statements, it will find ways to prove your affirmative statement is true. So if you say this is impossible, your brain will find evidence to, to promote and hold that idea that this is impossible. Whereas if you say to your brain, this is absolutely possible, which it has to be, 
because there are 10,000 plus banks in America, right? So it has to be possible. And I don't think they're any smarter or any dumber than I am. So yeah, so we found a project that we like. Um, actually, we found six that we didn't like, but that's a whole different story. And then we found one we did like. Um, and yeah, we're capitalizing a bank, new bank in Miami. It's what's called a de novo bank. And we're I'm really excited. And we're really excited about what that's going to do. Because this, when you start looking into the data around it, the, the Hispanic population, which is our target market, the GDP for the Hispanic population in North America is 2.8 trillion. Um, if that was reflected in a country, it would be the fifth largest country in the world. Um, so it would go the US, China, Russia, Japan, and then the Hispanic population of the US would be the fifth largest country in the world. Third largest growing GDP over the last 10 years, If again, if reflected as a country. Um, but out of that 2.8 trillion um, GDP, 261 billion of it is unbanked, and 700 and something billion of it is what's called underbanked. Underbanked is where you have a bank account, but you don't have any financial products or services, and you get those from all alternate providers. Um, so there's a huge disparity, and that disparity only gets bigger when the big banks, the Bank of America's, the Wells Fargo's, the Chase's, etc., buy First Republic, buy Silicon Valley, their market share grows. Um, and they're a very good solution for the 50K to 300K earner. Um, you know, if you're in that average, excuse me, if you're in that average price band, um, Chase and Bank of America and Wells are very, very good. If you're above that or below that, that's not where they focus. Um, they're just not, not that they couldn't if they didn't decide to, but they just don't focus there. So you've got this $260 billion of uncaptured value um, that I'm incredibly excited to go after. Um, and because of my marketing background, for me, it's like, well, what are their hopes, goals, dreams, and fears? It's one of my my starting points is what is the hopes, goals, dreams, and fears of whoever it is I'm trying to talk to? Because if I can understand their hopes, goals, dreams, and fears, you know, what wakes this person up at three o'clock in the morning, then I can help them solve that. Um, so the bank will be open in the next 100, 120 days, I'd, I'd imagine. We're just finishing the fundraising now. Um, so that's project one. Project two, we have a micro lending platform in Latin America, which is in Mexico, Peru, Argentina. And as of last week, it looks like Colombia as well. Um, that's very, very dear to my heart. Uh, it was set up 10 years ago. It's done 90, $81 million of loans, 46,000 individual loans. We get a new loan application every two seconds. And micro lending is you know, uh, one of the stories is one of the uh, early women, uh, it's been around for 10 years, one of the women that borrowed from us 10 years ago, borrowed to get soccer cleats for her kid um, for high school, and he's now trying out for the Mexican national team. Wow. Um, and another guy um, borrowed the money to have his spleen uh, replaced, I think it was, was set, it was a major operation. And his Where Are You Now video was, well, I'm alive. Um, which is like, when you're like, yeah, we made that happen. That's 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 really exciting. Um, and we're now wrapping that in financial products so that the UK, the US, Europe can now take advantage of that, which is great. So they're the two they're the two day jobs, for want of a better word. Um, and then absolutely the AI mastermind. Um, I I I don't like this phrase, but it seems to be the most accurate when you're like, what do I call me in that space? I think it's thought leadership. 
um, of just trying to help people get over the hump and use it um, so that they get their own moment. Because it really is one of those things, I keep, you've heard me say it so many times now, but you've got to find your aha moment. Because when you do, you start eroding that can, you know, very conditioned XYZ, go to Google, XYZ, go to Google, XYZ, go to Google. You start eroding that and going, huh, I wonder what this could offer me instead. Um, and then finally, uh, the book um, is called Proud or Rich, uh, 52 Life Lessons to Live By. And it's basically my sound bites from me or from other people. And it's literally 52 um, life lessons. And the first one came from my very first mentor uh, when I was 17. And he was giving me some advice. I, I'd written something and he was giving me feedback. Um, and I kept telling him, yeah, I couldn't do that because of this. Yeah, that couldn't be done because of this, that, da, 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 da. And he literally told me to shut the hell up. Um, and he said, you need to understand that, you know, I'm 55, you're 17. In the 38 years I've been alive that you haven't, there is a chance that I've learned something that you've yet to learn. I'm like, yeah, fair, fair enough. I'm a very petulant 17-year-old. And he's like, but you're not even hearing it. Because you're so busy defending yourself, you're not even listening. He's like, you have a choice in life. And your choice is that you can be proud. Oh, you can be rich. You can defend your ego and stay in the space of being proud, or you can be rich, whether that's health, wealth, relationships, business, doesn't matter, proud or rich. So in every instance of your life, you're making a choice to be proud or rich. So tell me right now, what do you want to be? And I said, rich. And he went, then shut up and listen, because you might actually learn something. And I was like, wow. So it's like 52 of those um, and anybody that buys the book, I'm actually going to teach the book live for the whole year. So every week, hence why it's 52, yeah. every week, not pre-recorded, live, I'm going to walk through each chapter of the book. So it's the kind of things that I've learned, some of them I ignored, some of them I embody, um, but I hope that there's something in there for people because Tony Robbins has a great phrase, which is, you know, 90% of a business, um, the chokehold is the leadership. Um and the only thing I think he's wrong on is I think it's 100%. Yeah. Um, I, 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 in every instance, as you said, I've met people that I'm just boggled at how positive they are or how driven they are or it doesn't matter what's just happened. They're, they're unaffected. Um, and I love, and you mentioned high school golf, I love the the things you can learn from other places. And golf is one of those. I am terrible at golf. Like the worst golfer in the world. I have to beg to get an official handicap. I'm terrible. But what I love about it is the life lesson. And the life lesson of golf is if you're thinking about the back nine on the front nine, you're doomed. If you're thinking about the front nine on the back nine, you're doomed. If you're thinking about the next hole, you're doomed. The previous hole, you're doomed. The next shot, you're doomed. If you, the only thing you have to do is empty your mind and be completely present in that one moment and just swing the damn club. And the manufacturers have spent billions of dollars making it actually really quite simple. And you see Tiger Woods or Phil Nicholson or Rory or whoever it might be, whoever you get a, you know, whoever you're drawn towards, they, they are literally swinging a club with millions of dollars on the line, hearing a, a cheer from another um, hole, 
and they have the ability to empty their mind completely and just be completely present in that moment. Um, and I absolutely love that trait of people that can do that. And I think it's it's such a, an ab- admirable thing. No matter what's happening, there are some people that can just show up and be present in that meeting, in that moment, in that sales call. They could have the worst day ever, the best day ever. doesn't matter. They're here to do the thing. Um, and I find that intoxicating when I meet that in people. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Presence is not a thing that is practiced often, unfortunately, because it, it it is noticed when it is. When you come across somebody who is giving you their full undivided attention in the moment, it is almost eerie because it's so unnormal. Abnormal, mm-hmm. whatever Absolutely. the word. Yeah, so. it's, it's, it's crazy when you see it and it's crazy to practice it. And then I guess whilst we're here, uh, my final project um, uh, is launching. As soon as I got the book out, my final project is launching, um, which is there is a, I saw a statistic that 80% of um, parents of children that commit suicide due to bullying um, aren't, weren't even aware that their children were being bullied. Um, and I was like, that, that's, that's too high. That number should be point oh 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 of a something, not eighty percent. Um, so we're launching a charity called My Name Is, uh, where celebrities are going to record My Name Is. Insert blank here. I was bullied as a child. Since then, I have done. Insert blank here. Um, it sucks. You are not alone. Talk to somebody, because there's some amazing charities in the space um, of child bullying. Um, but they can't even kick in if if the kid isn't, you know, flagging that they need they need help. Um, and I want to solve that. Um, so all of these things kind of all culminate into that thing of how can we help bring equality around into the world? How can we make a ton of money while we do it? You know, I'm not I'm not altruistic. I'm not here just to to be poor whilst the world gets a better place. Uh, and I don't think you have to make that choice. I think it's lazy to make that choice. I think you can do good things, help people, and earn a lot of money while you do it. And the charity is there's no there's no financial reward there at all. But um, I really want to use the platforms I have, the access that I have, the privilege that I've gained, the privilege that I was born with, whatever it might be, in order to tackle that one single metric um, and bring down that number. So yeah, so that's going to be, you'll start seeing that, um, me talking about that more around July or August. So fun and games. That's awesome. Um, that's really great stuff. I love to see that. Uh, and especially now, I think it's now needed. That's probably why the stat's so high is because of what's happened through COVID and all the online world and the whole kids, people are so disconnected because we're connected and it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy to see what's gone on and without, I mean, parents are so you know, I remember having a phone in the living room and my mom had a 20 foot cord and I, I had to be in the living room to talk to my friends on the phone because she wasn't going to about to let me be alone and talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. And yep. today, when's the last time a parent has overheard a kid's conversation? You know, yeah. they don't know it's, what's going on. You know, And you end up with these interesting conversations around a children's right to privacy. Right. I'm like, Nah, sorry. I'm sorry, but I, I will put this on record now. My kids don't have a right to privacy until they're not under my roof. Yep. Um, and they're going to have to respect that I will treat that with the sensitivity that it deserves. But 
there are so many threats, as you said, COVID kind of led to this very pent up thing. But also it's um, a lot of the charities talk about the fact that it's the always on. Um, because when in our in our generation, you'd go to school, you'd come home and no matter how merciless kids were being at school, you could you could come home. Um, there was there was a safe haven. Um, and, you know, that's that doesn't exist anymore. This is a 24-7, 365 experience for ch- kids. I can't I can't even work out what that would feel like um, for it to follow you everywhere you go. And I don't want to step into spaces that I don't know about. So I don't know how to help with that issue. But that one number of parents didn't even know um, that I know I can help with. Um, so I want to make that my mission over the next five years to get that number down to 10, 20%. Because we have to make it acceptable for kids to have those conversations. Yes. Well, everything that we're talking about here is exactly what happens when you're seeking, when you're taking advantage of opportunities that come your way. Exactly. And and this is what we just spoke about, isn't it? That number of 80% is due to two changes. One, always on technology to COVID. Now you can see that as a travesty, uh, a heinous thing about thing, how how evil are kids nowadays versus when I was a lad, it wasn't that bad. You can sit in this space of just complaining um, or judging or assessing, whatever you want to call it, or you can sit in the space of going, hmm, that's interesting. Um, what if that could be fixed? And that's where my brain went. Let's go for it's possible, not it's impossible, because everyone else seems to be saying it's impossible. What happens if I say it's possible? Um, What needs to happen? I'm like, well, and then my brain just asks, you know, Keith Cunningham kind of was one of the people that taught me this in great detail was, you know, thinking time. You know, I go and walk my dog and I ask myself a question and my brain answers the question. I find it amazing, Jim, how many people don't think. And when I say think, I mean actively think. Like you, you think when you're doing a crossword. You think when you're doing a, you know, there was a this a man in a room and a thing and a thing. How did he die? When you get one of those like brain teasers. But I don't know of many people that actually stop and thinking think about their life or their problems. And I do this daily. Like I will walk Dutch, and go, okay, what would move a kid? to tell somebody they're being bullied. And I just start, and, and when you ask the question, your brain's in your, your brain probably just started doing it then as well. Well, this would happen and this would happen. You can't help yourself. You can't help but answer a question. That's the way your brain works. And one of them I came up with is, well, they wouldn't listen to me, but they would listen to a celebrity. You know, celebrities have that star power. Okay, well, if they'll listen to a celebrity... How would I reach the celebrity? Well, I'm going to have to make the ask as small as possible. Right. So I don't want an endorsement. I don't want money. I don't want studio time. I want them to pick up an iPhone, press record, and say, my name is Blut. I was bullied as a kid. Since then, I have done Blut. It sucks. You are not alone. Talk to somebody. But send thanks. That's all I need. That's, that's, that's my ask of you. Um, and it just it just comes from asking a good question. Um, so find a big number in the world that you think shouldn't be that big or find a small number that you don't think should be that small and then go and ask yourself some questions and eventually you come up with an answer and you don't have to get to great you just got to get to good enough 
because when you get it out there and you get data and feedback and thoughts and opinions, it will start refining itself. Amen, man. I, and I love this perspective. This conversation can go on. We're going to wrap up here in a sec. So, well, you know, we have information and ways for you to get access to the book, right? So proud versus proud, not rich or proud or rich, proud or rich, proud or yeah. rich. Um, and so we'll make sure you have access to that. Go to the show notes. Everything will be there as well as all the ways to be able to contact uh, Peter Swain and reach out and, you know, and do so, you know, he's he, you know not necessarily just sitting around waiting to talk to everybody, um, but if he can help you, I know he will. So just make sure that he, you know, and, and by help, it doesn't mean he's going to do something for you. It means he could point you in the right direction or just shed some, some light and some insight. But the thing I want you all to take away from this too is, Notice all the different things that he's working in. And too many times we get caught up in, I got to work in my niche. Well, right now you just got to solve problems. And there's a lot of problems out there to be solved. Like you said, perfectly said, find a number that's too small and how do you make it big and find a number that's too big and how do we make it small? And that is the essence of problem solving. I mean, that is it at its core. And in doing so, all it does is it will just line up domino after domino for you to knock down and create opportunities for yourselves and for others. There's no reason to be fearful or circling the wagons. This is the time to lean in and lead your people to the promised land because it is there for everybody and for the taking. 100%. So. And the businesses that get built in recessions are the ones that last hundreds and hundreds of years because it requires a a resilience right now. You know, yes, right now you do have to be more concerned with cash flow. Um, you have to be more concerned with efficiency of output, but you should have always been concerned with those things. You just weren't because you didn't need to be because everything was so abundant. Everything is still abundant. It's just yeah, 10% less. So now is the time. You know, and, you know, the AI mastermind, you know, that was started because there was a perceived need. You know, it's nowhere near commercially the size of the, of the other things I'm doing. Um, but, I've been asked to speak to a Fortune 50 company in the next two months um, because somebody heard something I was saying about AI. Um, you know, you and I formed the basis of our relationship. We met before, but that's kind of where we solidified this. So everybody I'm speaking to now comes from that as well. So if you can't find a big number or a small number, just do a damn thing. Just do a thing, right? Just the only thing to not do is nothing. Don't do that. <laughs> Um, I love people that's like, oh, but I don't know what I want to do. Well, go and do something you don't want to do. At least cross something off the list. Um, and then people say, what? I'm like, well, go and learn how to juggle or make jelly or build a bench. I don't know. Just go and do something and start at least knocking stuff off the list. Because inside every experience, every friendship, every business relationship, if you're open and receptive, you'll start getting feedback and you'll start seeing other opportunities. Amen to that. And you mentioned something earlier called the processional effect. And I, I don't know if a lot of people know what that is, but um, we have, my wife and I just decided recently could go do a thing, right? So we, I've never played tennis. It's the only sport I've never played. And so we decided we, we're going to play tennis. There's two big tennis court parks near our home. So we went and bought used rackets and we decided we're going to go out there and hit the balls. And apparently we were doing this so poorly that we were offending somebody. and. He this, this older gentleman comes up to us, very broken English, and he says, I, I teach you, I teach you. And he showed us, he gave us a 20-minute lesson that literally changed the game. And as it turns out, he is 
uh, he works for the Rafa Nadal Tennis Academy in wow. Europe. He oversees all of the youth academies in Europe and in the Middle East. And he's from Iraq. And so this guy is one of Rafa Nadal's top tier trainers. And he had just happened to be here in our neighborhood over Easter break, visiting his son for a week, was watching us on a golf course and was so offended by how we were playing that he decided to step in. Now we have his card, his number and his contact info and opportunities uh, to be able to explore more things to do. But it was because we decided we're going to go do something. We're just going to do something we haven't done. We weren't worried about how good we were looking doing it. We were just doing it. And then doors open. And that's how, that's, listen, if you're an opportunity maker, that's how you live life I'm sorry. every day. If, if, if it doesn't kill you and it's not addictive, the answer is yes. Yes. Um, I used to have a habit in my, it's not so much now I'm married and with kids, but people would used to say, do you want to? And I'd go, yes. And they go, you don't even know what it is yet. And like, it doesn't matter. Because it's not about the thing. It's about the stuff that comes from the thing. And and it's just you know, go out there and get stuff done. Like there there is, as you said, so much opportunity, so much change, um, and the world consistently changes. It's about the only thing that you're guaranteed. It's going to change. It's going to change regularly. Um, and there is, you know, like Warby Park. Who'd have thought you could have redesigned um, spectacles? Like Warby Parker is a like, is it? I think it's a unicorn. Is it? I think it's a billion dollar company. Um. And they just read it. They just read it eyeglasses. Um, they, but so there was always an opportunity. Um, people often say, "Yeah, but you know, Google." Like, yeah, before Google, it was Yahoo. Before before Yahoo, it was Hotbot. Before Hotbot, it was Alta Vista. Um, before Tesla, it was Mercedes and BMW. Before that, it was Volkswagen. Like every everyone rises, has their time and then gets replaced by somebody else as they come up with a better, cheaper, faster, quicker way to do the thing that somebody else did. Um, and if that's your jam, go and do that. Like, just, just do it, because it's all out there, for sure. All right, so we're going to wrap here. You guys, go seize your opportunity. Take advantage of the things that are around you. Lean in, say yes, learn how to fall on your face. Just don't run for cover. Don't circle the wagons. Reach out to the people who need you, because there are people who are praying for the solutions that you can bring to them because you are the cure for what ails them. Go make it happen. Thanks for trusting us to be part of your success team. As always, make sure that you like and subscribe and all of the things that go with that. Check out the show notes. Thanks for trusting us to be here. Go make a difference. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Opportunity Makers. If you've heard something that connected with you, please share this episode with a friend or colleague. And don't forget to go to Apple to leave a review. Head on over to GainTheEdgeNow.com to connect with Jim and his team. And remember, there's no such thing as limits or obstacles, only opportunities. Opportunities.